And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Myth Bits. Hey everybody, and welcome to this episode of The World of Myth Bits. And this is episode 53. How did y'all like episode 52? (laughs) One whole year of podcasting, and I had to bring Mike back. He was the one that started this whole crazy podcast ride, and here I am, 52, well, 53 now, episodes later, and still going. So I'm not going to mess around a whole lot. Um... Oh, no. Welcome to the episode. This is your, I'm your host, Stephanie Barty. <laughs> I'm not going to mess around a whole lot because um, this is the magazine review. And it's a big one. Again. Surprise, surprise. Um, I am beyond thrilled that our Halloween issue is so big. Um, yay! <laughs> but that being said, this is going to take me a little bit to um, do the podcast, so I'm warning you now. If you don't have time to listen to the entire podcast right now, you can stop it, pause it, whatever, listen to it later. But if you were planning on listening to the entire podcast, now get comfortable, get a drink, put your feet up, grab a snack, and in we go. First, I would like to... Um, say congratulations to Deesta Daminopoulos for earning Member of the Month last month for her story, Tops. And I would also like to congratulate Christopher Bice and his story, The Grim Reaper, or his poem, The Grim Reaper, for being chosen as featured article this month. Yay, way to go. Uh, see, Chris, I told you it was a good one. I enjoyed it. I do not lie. All right, so we are going to jump right in. Um, We did add a new category, this issue, called um, Drabble and Flash Fiction. And the response was incredible. I am beyond thrilled at the response that we got to this new category and the stories that we got. So... Without further ado, we are going to delve into Drabbles and Flash and um, the very first one that I'm going to talk about is called Nothing But Trouble by Gabriella Balcom. And now a Drabble is a hundred words, give or take. So this is a Drabble and it is Halloween themed and it's, it's I kind of, I read it and I kind of wanted to read more. I wanted to know more. I wanted to discover more about Tilly and Nadira and what was going on in their lives. How did they end up where they were? Um, things like that. So I really enjoyed it. And it was nice to have a story, a short story that I could read. 
Next one up is The Hanging Tree by Don DeBrell. And I'm just waiting for my computer to load. Um, yeah, this month I'm not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get your regular CJ greetings because I'm not at home actually. I'm back down at my sister's and um, I would be podcasting poolside, but the pool is closed for the season, so I am podcasting from my mommy's great big ornate, really, really cool four poster I want it at my house bed. Okay, so moving right along. <laughs> the next travel is The Hanging Tree by Don Brown. And this is about um, a tree where they, they, you know, hangings took place, the hanging tree. Um, back in the day, they would, you were basically tried, found guilty, taken out back and hung, you know, from the tree. And this is about um, how you can kind of still see, you can see the bodies hanging and, and the horror of that. And the, you know, things like something like that, you never get it out of your head. It's an image that is never. And I look at a lot of old, old, old trees, and you see that swooping branch coming out, and it's kind of got divots in the bark here and there that have filled in over time, but are still lower than other places on the bark. And you wonder, you know, was this a hanging tree? Was this a tree where, you know, a lot of times innocent people lost their lives? Um, so it makes you wonder. And this one did make me think. Okay, moving along, we have Darkness by Kevin Adams. And while not a drabble in the true sense of the word, um, it's not a drabble, it's actually a flash fiction. <laughs> it made me laugh when I was reading it, so I was kind of torn whether or not I wanted to put it in the flash microfiction or if I wanted to put it over in comedy. Um, the word count is what decided where it got put, but this one made me laugh, and everybody has the same experiences. You're lying in bed, and you know, it's all dark, and you know, for some reason, when you turn the lights out, the furniture and the, the known landmarks in your room seem to change shape or move <laughs> or something. And you have these moments that Kevin describes in this short story of, you know, the sound that you hear, the rustling, the footsteps, the movement, and, you know, it's the cat. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. And then, you know, that, that last line, it's like, wait, what? Hold on. What? What happened? I want to know what happened. Um, so yeah, well done, Kevin. I thoroughly enjoyed Darkness. Sorry, I forgot to give you the name. It's called Darkness by Kevin Adams. Wow. I have to bear with me. I'm a little not focused at the moment. I'm trying to be. And then we have another one by Don DeBrail called Death by Chocolate. And this one plays on um, a fear that we've all had probably since childhood. It, it started as an urban legend. Um, it has happened in places, you know, you find razor blades and apples. And um, it, it happened a lot more 
when people used to make up candy bags and hand out these individual candy bags. Um, you find straight pins in candy bars. And this one is about that. It's about finding a straight razor in a candy bar and realizing that the culprit is a whole lot closer to home than she had originally anticipated. Um, Dawn has the ability in a couple of her stories in the magazine this month to send that shiver of fear and invoke that feeling of uncomfortable terror in you. Death by Chocolate is definitely one of them. Okay. Now we have Not Alone by David K. Montoya. And that's another one that is, you're, you're reading along and it's like, okay, you know, the mom's comforting the boy. What's the creepy thing under the bed? And you're, what's the you know, ghosty or ghouly that's hiding in his closet? And then you get to the closet and you realize, wait a minute. Okay, what happened? That's not um, what I was expecting. So, yeah. I think twice next time you go in and you check on your kids and they say there's something in the closet. Because it might be them that are in the closet. Well done, Dave. I enjoyed that. Not Alone by David K. Montoya. And we have another one by Gabriella Balcom called Please. And this one is what happens when your average eight-year-old girl asks to be blessed with a pumpkin. Sometimes you get what you wish for, and you should be very, very careful about what you wish for and be very, very specific, because you just might get it. Um, in spades, even. <laughs> so that is Please by Gabriella Balcom. Poor little Jane. And then we have Red and Yellow by Nerisha Kenrush. And again, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. Um, this one is a beautiful story of family time and a fun Halloween activity like carving pumpkins that everybody does. I did it tonight myself with my nephew and my brother and my sister, or my sister and my brother-in-law and um, and you, you don't think that there's going to be I mean, you pay attention to where the knives are around the little kids and you're very careful and you don't think about them rolling off the table and that that last line that was the last I'd say three three lines in this one just my heart just dropped. As soon as I read Jordan underneath the table, I went, oh no. Oh, that can't be good. And my heart just dropped. Um, so Red and Yellow by Narisha Kemraj. Still in the Drabble and Microfiction. The last one we have is another one by Gabriella Balcom called The Best Day of the Year. And it is, it has um, a fantasy, well, it is a fantasy twist to it. 
and it's it's about a um, a creature. But Halloween is the only day of the year that he can walk freely among everybody and not be noticed. Um, and nobody suspects a thing, and he can do his his piratey stealing and, and all his nefarious deeds and get away with it because he's dressed like everybody else. It's Halloween. So that's The Best Day of the Year by Gabriella Balcom. Okay, so that takes care of the Drabbles and microfiction, and now we are moving on to fantasy. And the first one up for fantasy is The Visitor by newcomer Belinda Brady. Welcome to the World of Myth family, Belinda. Now this one, um, it, it's, I really, okay, first of all, I know I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm not saying anything and, and you all are probably wondering, oh, did she like it? Did she not like it? I did like it. I really enjoyed it. As a woman, um, <laughs> as a human being who's been wronged by selfish motivations of somebody else, it was a very satisfying story. And I have always said fairies and pixies are not the beautiful, wonderful creatures that you seem to think they are. They have their dark side and they will go dark if given the chance. And this story is a shining example of that. Um, it was quite lovely. I mean, all he had to do was give her the house. That's it. That's all he had to do. Let's give her the house. You know, it wasn't that difficult. But no. And he paid the price. So it was a really good story. I really enjoyed it. It's called The Visitor by Belinda Brady. And it is in our fantasy section. And Belinda Brady is a newcomer to the world of myth. And the next one we have is another one by Gabriella Balcom. It's called Boundaries. And... As you can see, I wasn't kidding when I said we will accept submissions, more than one submission, um, for each category. Now, Drabbles are a bit different, and this month, was, because it was Halloween-themed, I stretched the rules a little bit and accepted more than one um, submission for the Drabble section from, a from one author. So, next month, it will be um, one submission per category. So you can submit to all the categories, but you're not going to have two stories in fantasy. You're not going to have two stories in poetry or whatever, you know. Anyway, so Boundaries by Gabriella Bauckham. And this is definitely a fantasy. I mean, even the the, first, the character's name, um, Slug, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it correctly. Probably not. But he's staging a revolt to... Because again... Halloween is a time of year when all of these creatures and demons and um, fantasy things can walk the earth freely because they look like everybody else because everybody's in costumes and, you know, the best they're going to get is somebody saying, hey, that's a really cool costume. So it's another shining example of um, 
taking that fantasy story and bringing it into the modern day world, into the the real world, into reality on Halloween night. And this particular story touches on um, Scoob staging a revolt to get out of his confinement with other demons and staying out beyond their allotted um, time frame. So I really enjoyed it. Um, and it kind of makes you wonder. That's Boundaries by Gabriella Balcom. And then we have <laughs> Part 5, The Rising by Jeff R. Young. And I'm sorry, Jeff. I still, Draven is still my favorite character. And if he does not come back, you and I are going to have words. <laughs> Just putting that out there. This sees, um, they finally get to Ravenwood and you meet Cora Daniels and you find out what's been going on in the Outer Lands and in the forests. And, um, this is where the story is now starting to turn and you're finding they're preparing for the battle to come. And, um, my poor Draven gets, I mean, he, okay, I can't say he gets sent off because he did, he did volunteer because Draven is cocky that way. Um, I loved the interplay between Cora and Draven. So, uh, yeah. The Rising, Part 5, um, by Jeff R. Young. I really enjoy, I'm really, really enjoying this story. And, you know, while I like Mace, and I like Kenrith, and I like the other characters that you've you've introduced, um, Zithos, Gwent, and all that, Draven is still my favorite. I love his sarcastic wit. I love his cockiness. I love his... his um, my poop don't stink <laughs> attitude. I really, really do like Draven. So I would suggest if you haven't started reading it, I would suggest you go back and you start a part one and you read this because it is a good story. It's called The Rising, part five. And that is in fantasy. And then we have The Missing Unicorn in the Land of the Zombie Fairies, part six by David K. Montoya. Now, this took on a totally different um, direction than what I thought it was going in when I read the last installment. And they were in Swampland, and they had met the Fire Drake. I mean, I, I was thinking, yeah, this dragon's going to eat them, and it's whether if this dragon's going to turn out to be a friend. And at first, you think he is going to be a friend. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, Olivia is, you know, a smart little girl. And figures, I'm pretty sure it's Olivia. I'm just scanning just to make sure. Yes, Olivia does figure things out and, um, it's, uh, certainly wasn't what I was expecting. And it makes you wonder things that you see in your dreams. I mean, you know they're dreams. They're not real. 
But what if you're put into a dream and you can't tell the difference between what's real and what's not real? And you think where you are is real. And you stay there. Like, what what, what happens? Um, so, yeah. Well done, Dave. You really had me sucked in. I mean, I'm totally sucked into this story. I know he's writing it and he's dedicated it to his girls, Zoe and Lily. And it's, it's a kid's story, but I am totally sucked into this story. I am invested in this story. I am enjoying this story. It's called The Missing Unicorn in the Land of the Zombie Fairies, Part 6. And I think that, yes, that wraps up our fantasy section. <sighs> Breathe. Now we are moving into the horror section. I really can't. This guy's got to stop doing these reviews before bed, I'm telling you. Okay, so now we're moving into the horror section, and um, we have another newcomer, Carmen Baca, and her story, Encounters with Death. Now, I was wondering, because Halloween is, um, it's not just Halloween, it's Samhain, which is a Celtic holiday, it's the beginning of the Day of the Dead celebrations, it's not just one particular thing. So I was wondering if we were, I was going to see um, a variation on the celebration of October 31st, and I was not disappointed. Carmen Baca brings us a story that deals with the Santa Moreta. Uh, I hope I said that correctly. I'm not, I don't speak Spanish, so I could be wrong. And she is basically loosely translated it's the saint of death and it's not she's not as that that scary figure that you think she would be and it does touch on the histories and the beliefs and the practices and the rituals of the day of the dead and it's her coming to um or coming into our realm once a year when she can walk freely among other people that have their faces painted up like skulls and she's not noticed she's not recognized and she gathers up the souls and she takes them onto the next plane and depending on their actions dictates where they end up and as you read the story there are several that are presented with choices and some make the right choice and some make the wrong choice but what I took away from that is that the choices are yours. You make the choices. And you have the ability to make the choice to do the good thing, do the right thing, or do the wrong thing and pay the price. So Santa Moreta doles out the consequences of those choices. So... I absolutely, I was thrilled beyond belief. I thoroughly enjoyed the story. Um, and I told her so, that I thoroughly enjoyed the story. I loved it. It, um, yeah, it's called Encounters with Death by Carmen Baca. And if you look at her Facebook page, she does have a video trailer for this story as well, which was really, really cool. I thought it was really cool. It was eerie and creepy and it was very, very cool. So, that's Encounters with Death by Carmen Baca. And it's, um, it has a Day of the Dead tone to it. 
And then we have another newcomer, Coleman Bomar, and do your worst. <laughs> this, oh, you know, and the thing is, is the concept of this game show in this story um, about willingly choosing to die on live TV. It's not that far out of the realm of possibility. You know, and somebody who has a terminal illness and they're offered a lot of money, they could set their their family up that's being left behind with, you know, enough money to pay all the bills and pay off all the debts and, and bury them and all of that if they choose to die dramatically and um, theatrically on live TV. And that's the premise of this story called Do Your Worst. The show is called Do Your Worst. And um, it has a, it comes with a twist. The, the next contestant on Do Your Worst has a change of heart at the very last minute. Like we're talking, she's standing in the ring, facing down the thing that's going to kill her and changes her mind and I mean, it, it gets her anyway she's only, she only survives a few seconds or more but um it then changes the premise of the story of of the game show so but it, it is so within the realm of possibility the way reality shows are going that it's it, that in itself scared me like the story was pretty creepy, but that in itself scared me. So that's Do Your Worst by Coleman Bomar, and he is new to our family. The the world of myth. And then we have another newcomer, Maggie D. Brace, and Something Wicked This Way Comes. <laughs> Oh, I gotta tell you, I never liked hairless cats. I always thought they were kind of odd looking, kind of satanic looking, kind of weird. I don't understand hairless cats. I don't understand people who like hairless cats. I mean, if you like them, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But they're weird. They are weird looking. And after you read this story, let me tell you, I'm reading it going, uh-huh, yeah, I told you. I told you. You don't take a stray cat in. It has a collar. There's a reason why it's all of a sudden a stray with a collar. Somebody loved that cat at one point and decided, mm-mm, this has got to go. And they put it out. <laughs> There's a reason why it had to go. And B had to go. So, yeah. It's a really good story. It, it It's kind of freaky. And it, it really... Um, plays into what can physically happen to you without you even noticing when you are addicted to something or you're drawn into something, whether it's the cat or a video game or whatever, um, when your total focus is on that particular thing and you tend to forget what's and, and not notice what's going on in the world around you. So, um, yeah, something wicked this way comes. Definitely came in the form of a hairless cat. So that was by Maggie DeBrace, D. Brace. And 
you can find that in our horror section and she is a new writer to the world of myth and then we have Stephen Bruce who is not new <laughs> not anymore he's been around for a few stories now and his story a transmutation wow this one was It was, it, I had to read it a couple of times because it picks up so quickly. And as you're reading, the speed just, you're reading faster and faster and faster and faster. And it's like, holy moly. And then when you get to um, what starts happening, the, the events that start happening, and it's like you're hit with a, holy crap, are you kidding me? Green? Really? Um, and it's, it's almost, almost to come up and but you know, you, you, it would give any teenager left at home alone pause to think and to maybe abide by certain rules. And if you're a horror movie buff, let me tell you, this kid broke all the rules. Don't go check on that sound. Don't do it. I'm telling you, don't do it. But, um, yeah. And then don't come through the door and you can't find your kid. Automatically assume they've done something wrong because you just might be wrong. But, yeah, it gave me, it gave me chills. And um, I for a few nights after I read this one, I would not venture out of my room down the hall to the bathroom in the dark. Nope. Every light, every light and the flashlight on my phone would accompany me. And it's just the way he describes the creature. You can see it in your mind. I mean, it's such a fantastic description and I mean, it's, it's, beyond reality, of course, but you can picture it in your mind. You can see it, which once you can see it in your mind, makes it within the realm of possibility. And that's scary. So it was a very intense, very intense story. I, I enjoy it. That's a transmutation by Stephen Bruce. And then we have um, Dawn DeBrail again. And her story, Perverted. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, this one made me very uncomfortable. Um, it deals with a very uncomfortable subject. But you can't shy away from the uncomfortable. You can't shy away from the um, unwelcome. And this story, Perverted, is one of those uncomfortable stories. It is very well written. It's a good story and you get your happy ending, basically, your justification at the end of the story, but it will make you uncomfortable because you are inside the mind of a pedophile and that is not a place any sane person would want to be. But it gives you an insight and describing the things that he learned in jail and that it's an education 
he graduated. It makes you wonder, what do they learn? And then they're released and they've learned how to be a better criminal. Um, I mean, like I said, you do get your justification. He is caught, he is sent back, and he looks at as it going back as a graduate program. So it's it's an uncomfortable story. It is well done. It is a good story. Um, but it is uncomfortable. And sometimes the uncomfortable stories are the ones that scare you the most. And this one isn't, there isn't some, you know, big fanged, drooling, three-eyed, four-armed monster. This is a human being, a man, a person. The average Joe on the street that you may have passed a hundred times. The human being that is the monster. And I always say monsters don't scare me. Human beings do. So that's perverted by Don DeBrail. And then we have <laughs> Sam M. Phillips, who is new to um, the world of myth. With a lot of new writers and artists. I think we have new artists this month. We have, a lot of, we have a lot of new contributors this month, which is fantastic. The, the amount of new contributors every month seems to be growing by leaps and bounds. So this is by Sam M. Phillips, and it's called The Hungry Family. And... It's a really good story, and you almost wonder, like, is 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 this real? Is this a dream? What's has the world ended, and it's been taken over by aliens? Um, where's the rest of his family? And you kind of you get caught up in this alternate reality that the storyteller is experiencing, um, and and the horrendous things that it's witnessing and it's seeing and it's having to deal with and face and it goes chasing after it, which I would not. It goes chasing after it and trying to catch it and find out what's going on, where he is and, and what's happened. Um, and then he wakes up and you do realize, yes, it is a dream. As, as, as he's dying, he wakes up and you realize that, yes, it is a dream. And that sometimes is scary in and of itself. You know, dreams can be very scary. And you wake up and your heart is pounding. And, and especially if your dream starts the way that you wake up, the way it ends. Like his dream starts with his little sister stabbing him in the eye with a fork. And that starts his entire dream. That's where his dream starts. And then he wakes up and his sister is stabbing him in the eye with a fork. It's like, holy crap. Okay, so is this going to happen? Was it a premonition? Was it a dream? Was it what? So that is um, The Hungry Family by Sam M. Phillips. And I suggest you read it. I suggest you read them all. Read them. Read them. Vote. Read them and vote. Okay. So now we're going to go into action suspense. We have This Wild Abyss by Michael A. Arnold. And 
this again starts off with that you know shadow in the room afraid to get out of the bed what's hiding under the bed what's hiding in the closet and it's post-apocalyptic i mean the end of the world has happened and he thinks he's the only one that's left um food is running low and it makes you wonder like when something like that happens yeah you can survive for quite a while if you're the only person you can survive for quite a while on the canned goods that you're going to find at your local grocery stores and convenience stores and, and places like that but i mean if the hydro is out you can forget anything in the coolers and freezers you I mean you're going to have tons of meat for a while but if you have no experience in how to preserve the meat to last beyond what it's going to last in normal temperatures you're screwed you're, you're depending on the canned goods and the boxed foods and and stuff like that so um this this character is is venturing out and and basically has resigned himself to a life of being alone and of surviving and that's what life has become after this end of the world moment um this this viral moment that started in i think it was russia the story it says it started in and he's not expecting there to be anybody else he doesn't understand why he's the only one and it turns out that the shadow is not just a shadow it's something more than a shadow and he starts the story alone and he ends the story alone but he doesn't spend the story alone So, you check that out. The This Wild Abyss by Michael A. Arnold. And it really, it, it makes you think about if you were in that position, what would you do? How would you handle that? What are the choices you would make? See, again, it comes back to choices. Okay, and there we have Walter G. Esselman is back with another installment in his Caleb Prophet story. And this one's called Asylum. And he, Caleb has a sidekick with him, Michael, the Archangel. And at first I'm thinking, okay, who's going to be, possibly be super religious and I'm not sure if it's going to be a fit. And then I read it and wow, God has email. <laughs> Who knew? Um, but it's really well written. It sucks you in and teaches you some things you might not know. Broadens your horizons. Um, and shows you a kinder, gentler side to human nature. Mixed in with the cold, calculating, um, unemotional side of human nature. So that's Asylum, a Caleb Prophet story by Walter G. Esselman. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, I suggest you check it out. And the way that it's told, I mean, it's not Caleb the smartass. Michael, the archangel, is an even bigger smartass. So it's really good. Okay, so now we're going to move into science fiction, and we have another new contributor, Michelle E. Lowe, and her story, Transition. 
and it takes us, you know, I mean, it starts as a happy story, new baby comes in, siblings being introduced, and then you realize, oh, okay, they're not exactly human. They were, but it's all about evolution and learning to adapt to the surroundings that you're in. So, yeah, it's it's really good, and it, it kind of makes you wonder the the way that the polar ice caps are melting, the way that things are going, what's going to happen, and, and how are we going to be able to adapt? Because science has proven that species will adapt to the change in their environment over a period of time. And in this story, what were once humans have adapted into something more amphibian and um, aquatic than the walking on land and breathing air human beings. These are, these, you know, they, they can't quite breathe water. They breathe in water yet, but they can hold their breath for an incredibly long time. And they're evolving even more every every day. So yeah, makes you wonder. So that's Transition by Michelle E. Lowe. Another newcomer. And another newcomer. We have Sunday Drive by James Rumpel. Or Rumpel. Now this one <laughs> There are already cars out there that can drive themselves. You put in the destination and it, you know, monitors traffic and has sensors all around. And this takes you into one of those cars. And what can happen when Siri or Google or your car is listening to every word you say and is responding to every word you say? It, it's it's definitely a reality check to the dependence and the excitement that we have to push our electronic knowledge and our electronic ability to have things done for us further and further and further. Um, it was a great story. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was funny. It was well written and it was very, very close to reality. So that is Sunday Drive by James Rumpel. And now we have Steve Carr and the Settlers. This one was really, it just, scared me in a way that the way we're gobbling up our resources and the way that we're treating um, the earth and the, the species are becoming, more and more species are becoming extinct and more and more land is becoming uninhabitable and um, we're running out of resources and we're running out of fresh water and we're running out of this and we're running out of that and um, what he is describing in this story about shipping off people in pods 
to start another colony somewhere else on a different planet, if we can find that planet, it's a very real possibility. And um, not everybody, especially if they're sent in pairs, not all of those pairs are going to successfully make it. There may be one that makes it and the other mate selected for that pairing doesn't. So what do you do then? Um, yeah, so, and you're going to encounter different life forms on these planets and they're not going to understand you, you're not going to understand them, and what do you do? How do you survive? How do you rebuild, basically, or start over from scratch? So, um, The Settlers by Stephen Carr is very unsettling. <laughs> and now we have um, one that I was debating whether or not I wanted to put it in science fiction or comedy because it is rather funny. But it's funny in a dark humor kind of way. And this is When the Loonies Come Out in L.A. by Walter Giersbach. And it's told in the 1950s um, private eye kind of dame walked into my office and knew she was going to be trouble kind of way. Um, and it never comes right out and says that they're aliens. But you know, by the end of the story, you know, they are. And they're going home. <laughs> they just got lost in Pasadena. <laughs> so it's it's really well done. And um, I enjoyed it. It was not what I was expecting at all. So, and, and I mean, there are clues throughout the story as to what... Um, the man and the woman are almond. He calls the woman and it's because of her eyes, white as eggs and, and they're almond shaped, you know, with, with they're, they're white and black, not your normal eyes. So when the loonies come out in LA by Walter Giersbach, well done. I really enjoyed it. It kind of took me back to those old, like I said, those old 1950s, 1930s um, private investigator, private detective kind of stories. Now we're going to move into humor. We have another one by Walter Giersbach. Broken window blinds. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure everybody has experienced at one point or another in their life walking down the street at night and everybody's got their lights on in their houses. And, you know, you're kind of, you're not being nosy, but you're just you're looking at what's going on as you're going by in the windows and you see something you really don't want to see. So, this is a story about making sure that if you don't want the goings on in your house to be. witnessed 
by um, those around you. Fix your blinds. Close your curtains. Shut the outside world out. Keep your business private. It's really well written. It's funny. And um, I feel really, really bad for Lorraine. <laughs> that poor woman. She's got her hands full. So, um, yeah, you need to read Broken Window Blinds by Walter Kiersbach. And that is in our um, humor section because it is hilarious. And then we have uh, Shocked by Don DeBrail. And this is, it's almost um, a superhero origin story in the sense that um, Debbie is getting these powers all of a sudden. She's thinking it's a, a neuropathy that most of her family has. And she's just thinking that she's coming into it and it's now her turn and she's at the right age. This is where it developed for the rest of her family. Um, but it doesn't turn out to be that. It turns out to be something far more. Now, I was unclear at the end of the story as to whether or not she still had the ability to shock other people. Um, I knew she couldn't shock Lenny anymore. And I wondered if, you know, she was, she shocked people, um, until they got, learned the lesson or got the message, and then she didn't have the ability to shock that particular person anymore. So it's a really good story, and it leaves you with questions at the end of it. So about things, well, what happened? Can she do this? Can she still? So, yeah. And it's called Shocked by Don DeBrail, and it is, it's funny. It is in our humor section. And then we have Solace by Melissa Small. And this one tells the tale of a pair of shoes. It just wants to be loved. Every pair of shoes wants to be loved. And this pair of shoes just wants to be loved. And how a pair of shoes can go from being a good pair of shoes to a very, very bad pair of shoes. So, and, and always another, it's another lesson in be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. And be specific. So, this is Solace by Melissa Small. And, uh, yeah. Check it out. Poor shoes. And then we have uh, Darnell Curriton and Yum Yum Vampire Hunter. <laughs> and when I first saw the title, I thought, okay, so a vampire hunter has become lunch. But then you realize that Yum Yum is the name of the dog. And the dog needs to go back for training. So, oh, excuse me. Oh, it's been a long day. Um, it's a really good story. It's it's a good um, beginning to further stories, future stories. Because I want to know, does Yum Yum get trained as, as a guardian? 
Does he finally figure it out or does he just continue to eat cookies and croissants and jelly donuts? And um, does grandma stick around in the new lady's body? I mean, I know she said she had to give it back, but does she stick around? And Sally Ann, how does she go on? Does she continue being a vampire hunter and, and... you know, what does her life look like after the story? Um, we know what happened to the vampire, obviously. And um, Amy, you know, she knows what Sally Ann is. She knows what Grandma is and that she's not in her own body, that she's a spirit in somebody else's body. So does she become part of a team? Does she spill the beans can they keep it quiet it's a really really good story and darnell i want more i really enjoyed it i want to know more about what happens and you know does does grandma stay in Maisie's body does sally ann continue as a vampire hunter does she find more vampires um yum yum does he finally get his act together and amy is she all part of it as well so Really, really good story. I really enjoyed it. And that takes care of our story section this month. Um, It was quite extensive. Thank you, everybody. And now we're going to move over to poetry. And the first poetry, the first poem up is a Halloween story by Laura Hughes. And um, it's very well written. And it, it, touches all the the Halloween-y areas. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's got a nice rhythm and cadence to it. Like I said, it touches everything. Like you go to the fortune teller and and the crystal ball and the tarot cards and um, all the Halloween uh, stereotypes, I guess you would say. So it's... uh, I really enjoyed it. And that's A Halloween Story by Laura Hughes in Poetry. And then we have Greed by newcomer Jack Wolf Frost. And it's not a long one, but it gets the point across in a few lines. Um, This one is... You almost... Reading it, I first started and I'm reading it and I'm thinking, okay, it's a vampire or something like that. But it's, it almost comes across as a bully stealing candy from the kids trick-or-treating. But it doesn't come out and say that. And it's, it's kind of left to the reader's interpretation. So that's Greed by Jack Wolf Frost, who is a newcomer. Welcome, Jack. And then we have Immortal Love by Welcome Siskin. And again, it's not a long one. But everything that Welkin sends is, is always good. And um, this is that love that, you know, surpasses time. That, that, like the line says, that lingers like an unbridled freedom. Um, so that's Immortal Love by Welkin Siskin. And then we have On a Planet with Low Gravity by newcomer John Gray. 
And this is uh, very sci-fi, but it has elements of um, fantasy in them as well. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful poem. I, I really enjoyed it. It's Gravity by John Gray. And then we have About Face by Copper Rose. And it's, you know, back in the days of the, the villagers with their pitchforks and torches and, you know, coming to get you. And <laughs> it's a, the last stanza it kind of makes you funny. It makes you funny. It makes you laugh because it's rather funny. Um, the whole raid by the villagers gets turned around on them. So I thoroughly enjoyed that. You know, you don't, don't come after those poor defenseless pumpkins, man. You drop, put your knife down, you get those pumpkins, and you could be in some serious trouble. You can hold those knives, and that's the end of you. Then we have Hunter's Moon by Christopher Bice. And this one appealed to, I, I love wolves. I love all things wolves, whether it's werewolves, whether it's the coyote wolf hybrid that we have up here, whether it's uh, the timber wolf, the northern wolf, or the black wolf, or the white wolf, or whatever kind of wolf. I love wolves. So Hunter's Moon really appealed to that wolfy side of me. I really enjoyed it. Um, and the way that it's written, it's written from the um, werewolf's perspective, the wolf's perspective. And you feel for the wolf as you're reading it because you know that it's he's never going to know a life of peace. It, it's always going to be hunted. And, and it puts you in a position to feel empathy for the creature that most seek out and kill. So, well done, Chris. I really enjoyed that. Hunter's Moon by Christopher Bice. And then we have Tension Growing by Sam M. Phillips, who we had a story from previously. And this, this one is, it's, it almost reads like it's a love letter, but it's an angry I don't want this, but this is how you, this is what you do to me. And, um, it's, it's that unhealthy obsession. So I really enjoyed it. And it's, it's quick and, and, um, the lines are short and almost like, I can't think of the word, but it's it's very fast paced, and you read it, and you feel the the um, anxiety and the the urgency of the writer. So it's that's tensions growing, and you feel that, that 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 the way it's written creates that tension. So it's tension growing by Sam M. Phillips, and then we have terribly cold by Michael A. Arnold. And this is, it's very sad. Um, I like the, the, 
lighting fires every morning with the papers of yesteryear. And it, it, it speaks to um, poverty, really. You're lighting a fire in the morning to stay warm and survive with the memories of, with the papers uh, that carry the memories of your past. Um, and, and watching it all go up in smoke just so that you can stay warm and survive and, and continue living a life that you're not going to have any way of, of documenting. So, yeah, that's Terribly Cold by Michael A. Arnold. It's not just the physical cold that you feel when you're in a position like that. It's the emotional cold. And then we have the story, the poem that made featured article, and that's The Grim Reaper by Christopher Bice. And it reads as scary, and it reads as funny, and it reads as um, a cautionary tale. It's a very well done poem. I really enjoyed it. And it had me laughing and then kind of going, yeah, well, you know, you got your second chance, so you better use it right. So it's it's very good. I really enjoyed it. And that is why it made um, featured article. So. And then we have Three Haiku by Denny Marshall. And they're three haikus, and they are um, science fiction in nature, obviously, aliens and, and things like that. But the way that this poem is written, it's written in three haikus, and it tells a tale through those three. Um, and it's very good. I really enjoyed it. And um, that's Three Haikus by Denny E. Marshall in our poetry section. And then we have Sean M. Klimek. And now he, when he sent this to me, he said it could either work for Halloween or it could work for Valentine's Day. But I didn't want to wait until February to, to put this one out because it's such a beautiful piece coming from the perspective of the vampire and how they feel about their prey. Um, it's called Vampire Valentine, and it's it's a beautiful poem. I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it gives you like an insight into how the vampire views and how they feel about basically their dinner. You know, I don't feel that way about my dinner, but just saying. And then we have Fright Night by Randolph R. Lofgren. And it's another one of his play on words where he, he goes through. and um, So there's that one there. And it's I enjoyed it. It's a good one. It's called Fright Night by Randolph R. Lofgren. And then we have Hell by Kevin Magnus. The ever morose Kevin Magnus. And... It makes you, as you're reading it, you know, you wonder, is it a fictional hell? Is it a hell within his mind? Is it a hell within the atmosphere that he has to live? So I really enjoyed that. I would suggest you read it. It's in our poetry section. It's called Hell by Kevin. I suggest you read everything. Just read it. Just do it. Hell by Kevin Magnus. 
And then we have my poem, Sadness, by Stephanie Barty. Mm -hmm. That's me. Um, It's just a poem about always being the one to be the shoulder to cry on, to be the one to pick up the pieces, to be the one to be there when somebody else's life is falling apart, but not really having anybody there when your life falls apart. So it's called Sadness. So that wraps up our poetry section, and now we go to the art gallery. And we have Lally Napier back this month with Rocky Lips. And anybody who's ever seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show knows the lips at the beginning of the movie. So that is, is what this picture is. And it's it's a painting, actually. It's painted with um, paint on an easel and... Um, I love how she's done it. I really, really do love that picture. So that's Rocky Lips. And then we have Don't by Boriana Ananieva. And it, it, it kind of makes you like, don't what? <laughs> you know, like you've got the blackened veins and, and it makes you, are they diseased? Are they ill? They have the mask on, but the mask has a face, has a mouth, and, you know, the, the almost disinterested look in the eye. So that's Don't by Boriana and Nieva. And then we have Green Fairy by Jesse Lindsay. And anybody who's ever drank absinthe has heard the tales of the Green Fairy, or you've seen the Green Fairy, um... Absinthe is an interesting drink. Um, And I just, I loved the depiction here of the Green Fairy. So that's The Green Fairy by Jesse Lindsay. And then we have, which is our cover for this month's issue, Pampire by Denny E. Marshall. And it's a drawing. Um... And I, I just think it's absolutely the cutest thing ever. And that's why it's the cover of our magazine this month, because it is just, <laughs> it's very cute. I like it. It's Pampire by Denny E. Marshall. And you know, having carved pumpkins tonight, I'm kind of looking at that going, hey, maybe I should have done that. So that wraps up our art gallery, and then we go over to reviews. And we have Review of Unsane by the ever-wonderful Jason Bashard. And I really want to watch this movie now after reading your review. Um, like I said, it, he's, his reviews are always... They give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he doesn't mince words. And this is the first time I think I've seen in my tenure, or not tenure, but in, in, in my days of editing this magazine, this is the first time that I've seen Jason give five stars. I mean, he usually has something that didn't quite sit with him or, or something technical so it's very rare that you get a five-star rating and a highly, highly 
recommend this flick. So I, I really, really want to go and give this movie um, a C. I want to watch this movie for um, for myself and and find out what uh, what all the hype is about. First of all, like like I said, Jason doesn't give out five star ratings very often that I've seen. I mean, I could be wrong. And if I am, I know that my previous co-host, Mike, will jump in there and go, Excuse me. Yes, he did. Or Dave will tell me. Yes, he did. But I don't remember. Normally, it's... There's something in there. So, uh, yes, I really, really, really want to go and watch the movie Unsane that Jason Bayshard has reviewed this month. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jason, for doing that. I always look forward to your reviews every single month and I look for, look forward to your podcasts too not just the movie Madhouse but uh, Dispatches with Shed Quarters because you kind of keep Mike in line <laughs> it's not an easy feat dude well done okay so then we have um, book review I reviewed John Saul's Devil's Labyrinth and like I said in the review, well, it was a good book and it really builds um, the suspense and it really builds towards something. You never get that satisfaction. And anybody who knows when you're being led towards this ultimate climax in this story and you're hoping for it, you're longing for it, you think it's going to be this great thing and it falls flat and it feels rushed. It's... Very disappointing. Very disappointing. So that's why I gave it two stars. And why it lives in the bathroom at my house. It's it's a bathroom read, basically. And then we have the review of Catullus. Uh probably didn't pronounce that right, but you know, you all know me. I'll just say it the way I say it. Which um it's the review of Catullus poems translated by Peter Wingham done by Michael A. Arnold, and he reviews the book of Catalyst poems that that Peter Wingham translated, and he touches on um, the poetry itself, what can happen, the different types of translations, what can happen in translating the poems, um, what the literal translation is as compared to what the assumed translation or the translator's take or um, thought on what he's translating. So it's, it's a really, really good read. Thank you very much, Michael. And then we have Jurassic World Evolution by Jeff R. Young, and that is in our video game review. And thank you, Jeff. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I want to check that game out now. And I'm not a gamer. I don't I don't play games much. I mean, I play some games, but my kid has an Xbox, so now I want to check out Jurassic World Evolution. And then we have... Um, I love... I, 
going back to Jeff's, I love Jeff's reviews because he does go into the good aspects of the game and the negative aspects of the game, the problems you might run into. So yeah, Jurassic World Evolution by Jeff R. Young in a video game review. And then we have the art review, which is Frida Kahlo's Girl with Death Mask. And Dave goes, by David Kim Montoya, and David goes into um, his theories on, he's, he's read all of the theories and all of the thoughts and all of the, the suggestions on this piece. He describes the piece, and then he goes into his theories. And I did have just to point out to him that, um, like one of his theories is that this is a self-portrait of Frida's little girl celebrating the Day of the Dead. And she was ostracized as a child because she had polio. So her left leg was shorter and, and weaker than her right leg. And if you look at the painting closely, you can see that the left side of the child in the picture is thinner and smaller and looks weaker. It's not as muscular. It's not as defined, um, the mask is also on the left side. Uh, the one on the ground is also on the left side. So it turns out that that is a mask of the tiger, of, of a tiger um, sculpture, I think, or painting. It's in her house. It was in her house as a child. And it's, you almost, it's guarding that weaker side of her. So, um, yeah, I would, I would suggest reading the art review because it does give a different perspective on um, Frida Kahlo's Girl with the Death, with Death Mask. Yeah, it had different names too. I'm not telling you what they are, you gotta read the review. And then of course we have Commentary from the Founder by David K. Montoya. And he made a couple of announcements that I had um, touched on before in previous episodes like we are working on getting the best value that we can for the um hard copy of our anniversary edition um the supplier that we did have lined up the prices just were not feasible that they came back with and we had to order in bulk and um, that's like we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars. So we don't want our readers to have to pay $20 for a magazine. That's, that's insane in my mind. Um, so we are still working on that. And um, he talked about um, executive directors being hired to run each branch of the Jizamon Dark Myth Company and um, the, the, the people that are selected for these positions are being talked to. I do know that um, the Director of Publications has been solidified. I'm not going to announce who that is yet. But uh, yeah, so and these are all temporary positions while Dave um, focuses on the Pop Culture Expo because that is swiftly, swiftly coming up. 
Um, I can't believe that like it's it's flying by so fast and coming up so quickly. So go and read his commentary, and you can find out more information about what's going on and um, all of that wonderful stuff. And then, of course, you know, last but not least. <laughs> We have our interviews, and the Mythmaster takes on Jeff R. Young this month, and Jeff is not shy, so I suggest you go and you read his little blurb that's on the page, and then you go and have a listen to the podcast as he meets with the Mythmaster in the Mythmaster's Dungeon. And see if he gets out alive. And if not, what happens to him? So that is our magazine for this month. And I want to thank all of our contributors for stepping up and presenting our readers with Halloween-themed stories and poems and artwork. Thank you very much. Um, I know the theme was kind of thrown in a few weeks before, or about a month before publication, so um, I appreciate everybody working so hard and getting me some amazing pieces. This magazine wouldn't be what it is without you guys. Um, we can't put out a magazine if we don't have writers, or poets, or artists, or people to review things, and I can't tell all of you how much I absolutely appreciate um, every bit of hard work and energy that you put into what you contribute to the magazine right down right from our, our, our writers and our poets and our artists to our reviewers like Jason and Michael and Jeff and um, Dave um, our magazine wouldn't be our magazine without all of you. And I want to thank, I just want to throw, I, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting sentimental. Throw a thank you to all of our readers that, you know, come back time and, and time again, month after month after month, and vote on our stories, and vote on, on the art and the poetry, and um, spread the word to other writers and other readers about our magazine. Um, thank you. We appreciate it. Because again, without you guys, there wouldn't be anybody to read it, read the stuff that's in our magazine. So we, we appreciate our readers just as much as we appreciate our contributors. Um, it's a, a give-and-take relationship. It's a symbiotic relationship. We can't have the magazine without one having the other. So we need you. You need us. We all need each other to make this work. And... We're making it work. Thank you so much for being amazing. Um, I am blown away every month at the quality and, and the caliber of the things that come through my email box and um, intimidated at times. <laughs> so thank you, everybody. You guys are amazing. And I look forward to November's issue. Remember, our deadline for submissions is ah, yeah and another first i have to say this another first we actually this is the first time i was told this is the first time in the history of the magazine ever 
that we actually had to close for submissions for that month because we had so many. And because we do everything manually, like I go over every story, every piece, and edit it before I send it to Dave, who does all the coding for the magazine. And yes, those weird symbols that you see will be fixed. Don't worry, I saw them. Um, they will be fixed. It's just been hectic and crazy. And, and um, we were down to the wire getting this one out again because of the, the sheer size of it, which is fine. You know, we're, we're learning to adapt and adjust. And um, it's kind of hard when you go from a set amount in a magazine and then all of a sudden it's doubled. So we're adjusting and we're reconfiguring. And um, don't worry, things will keep moving right along, as they always have, as, as smoothly as we can make them. Um, normally, I go over the magazine, but because Dave's doing the coding, so he can't see the symbols on his end and um, a second pair of eyes to pick them out as he's doing it um, helps. So those symbols and everything will be, will be fixed. Um, and links will be posted on your pages in the next day or two. I know most of you have already shared your stories and that, but we always post the direct links. Um, so that will be put out so that you can share that and um, have people come and vote. And um, deadline is November 15th for submissions. So make sure you get your stuff in early. There isn't really a theme other than it's November. It's cold. <laughs> um, our December issue will be Christmas themed. So if you want to start thinking um, holiday themed, we're going to go holiday themed because not everybody celebrates Christmas. So we're going to go holiday themed. Um, so if you want to start thinking about pieces for December ahead of time, just make sure when you send it to me that you put in the email, this is for December or this is for November so that I don't get them mixed up. Um, November will be out the 24th as always. Uh, if you have any questions, um, you can email me at Stephanie Barty at the world of, er, yeah, Stephanie Barty at the world of myth.com. Um, you can pop over and check out www.theworldofmyth.com, read through everything that I've just talked about, read all the stories, um, because I do leave a lot out. I don't give you all the details of the story. You have to go read the story for yourself to find out all those little twists and turns and interesting stuff. Um, go and vote, show some appreciation for our writers and our artists and our reviewers. Um, go and have a listen to the Mythmasters interview and just quick, 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 check out, check out stuff. There is a contributors page that if you happen to like a story by a particular um, contributor, you can go to the contributors page and it's alphabetical order by last name. So say you wanted to um, read the entire chosen series of mine that I'm writing. I'm only using mine as an example because it's easy for me to think of. So you just go to the contributors 
page, you would click on B, you would look for Stephanie Barty, and you would start at the beginning because all my works would are listed there. All my poems, everything. So each contributor has their own contributor's page. And I just realized I missed a story. I missed a story. Oh my gosh, I, that just dawned on me as I'm talking about the contributor's page. I am so sorry. I have to go back and now I have to double check to make sure I didn't miss another one. Because I know I missed, I missed this one. For sure. So bear with me while I just give this a scan to make sure that I touched on them all except for this one. And I can tell you right now, Dave is listening to this podcast going, excuse me, what the hell? Why didn't you talk about mine? She missed mine completely. And yes, Dave, I am terribly sorry. I did. I don't know how, but I did. So, Through the Eyes of Madness, Part 22. Now, this this part is um, a bit different than what you've been reading so far, is as it takes us into um, a flashback from 25 years ago. And... It describes a scene that's happening. And as I'm reading this scene, I am thinking the dude in the trench coat, the nice dress, the, the nice looking dude in the trench coat is the gray eyed man. It's got to be the gray eyed man. I'm thinking it's the gray eyed man. And that poor little girl has met her end. She should have left when she was told to. This is what happens when you don't listen to your parents. And, you know, I'm reading through it and I don't understand why she waited until everybody was gone. That kind of theaters are always creepy when they're empty. At least I think so. And then you find out the dude in the trench coat is not the gray eyed man. I'm not going to tell you any more than that because like I said, you have to go read it. But yeah, through the eyes of madness, part 22, um, gives you a little background into one of the characters and, um, definitely hits a few of those things that make you go, hmm. So, yeah, Through the Eyes of Madness, part 22. Sorry, Dave. (laughs) Go read it. Uh, I'm glad I remembered before I actually um, ended the podcast and had him go, didn't you like my story? You didn't review me. You know, not that he's like, you have to review me, but I review everybody. So he would be wondering why I missed over his completely. Because I'm a dork. That's why. Anyway. So that finally wraps up our review of the world of myth.com. Okay. Let's try it again. Retake. That wraps up our review of the World of Myth magazine, our Halloween edition. You can read it at www.theworldofmyth.com. And I want to wish everybody a safe and fun-filled Halloween. Blessed Samhain. And enjoy the Day of the Dead. I will catch you all next week from the same spot because I will still be at my sister's. Have a good week, everybody. See ya. Bye-bye.
world of Mythbits.